Take us, take us off, Pat. Hey, welcome to Spoilers. Hey there, how's it going? This is a minor spoilers episode where we're here to talk about uh, a monster calls. Yes, we are. And we're also recording during the Golden Globes, so we might be talking about those announcements as they come up in real time. Uh, what, what channel is the Golden Globes even on? It's on NBC this year, Jimmy Fallon's hosting. And they just give away Best Actor for a Motion Picture, Aaron Taylor Johnson. From Nocturnal Animals. I didn't see that yet. Have you? Best actor or best supporting? Supporting actor. Okay. Uh, no, I haven't seen it yet because I live in an area where they don't like to play cool movies. So <laughs> I have not seen it yet. I've only heard good things, though. But uh, so what do you think about the movie we're here to talk about today? A Monster Call. So I guess should we describe it first? or? Sure. Um, actually, I have IMDb up right now. Do you have like Rotten Tomatoes up for a better, better description? Sure. Well, I mean, I can get it up here in a second. Oh, yeah. In your theater, was it crowded? Uh, it was decently crowded. Um, I saw it yesterday, Saturday. I saw mine Friday night, and surprisingly, there was like 20 people in it. I was, I saw like 10.30 at night, and surprisingly, I thought I was going to be the only one there. Let's see. So it says, a visually spectacular drama from J.A. Boyana. Sounds about right. 12-year-old Connor dealing with his mother's illness, a less than sympathetic grandmother, and bullying classmates find out finds a most unlikely ally when a monster appears at his bedroom window. Ancient, wild, and relentless, the monster guides Connor on a journey of courage, faith, and truth. And then some other credits, including Liam Neeson and Toby Kebbell. So, uh, what do you think overall? I guess. Um, it was a lot different than what I thought it was going to be in the trailer. I, <laughs> it kind of took a while to get going. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it was a little slow to start. It was uh, a little slow to start, but once they jumped into like the animations of the tales, I was like all in. I was like, okay, this is really cool. Especially how like the first one was almost like a watercolor painting. So yeah, let, let, let's just like sort of explain it a little bit better. So you have the kid whose mom is dying, I guess, of cancer, right? Yeah, it seemed like terminal. And she. He's sort of being taken in by his grandmother. His dad's not really in the picture. And then the main plot of this movie is that his tree becomes alive. I guess, how would you describe the tree? It kind of looks like Groot or an ant. Yeah, it's like an ant, but way bigger. It looked like he had, like, fire, like, in, inside of him. Is that, is that right? I think so, yeah. He was kind of, like, roaring fire. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean, it looked like he, like, shaved, like, all of his branches and shrubs and whatnot. And I know he just looked like what a hundred feet tall. Some I think his height was sort of variable too. He kind of get bigger or smaller because at one point he's inside the cafeteria. Yeah, that part kind of threw me too. I was like, how is he inside right now? I thought he was like ginormous. <laughs> so basically, this giant monster is Liam Neeson, and he's helping Connor deal with the fact that not only is his mother dying, but the, I guess sort of here's the major spoiler alert that connor just kind of wants it to be over and helping connor yeah. accept that fact is the ultimate crux of the movie the reveal in the third act um, yeah him just wanting his mom to finally pass away yeah exactly so it's not just dealing with the the loss of the mom but also the fact that he 
just wants this situation to be over. It's a really heavy movie. I mean, did you enjoy Very it? Very heavy. Yeah, did I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked the... I should put it this way. I really enjoyed the first two tales, um, which was about... I know, to me, it seemed like... So, the first yeah, one ex- was, explain but, that. What are the tales, for if you haven't seen the movie? Uh, the tales are... I mean, they, they... Two out of the three go through animation. The first tale is about how essentially uh, this king who's ruler over this land is a widower and he marries this really young bride and the king also has this son who's a knight and when he becomes of age or his dad passes um, he'll take over the kingdom but before he's of age his dad passes and the way the tale is set up it seems like the young bride poisoned him and the what does it say? This the chivalrous knight was like sent away, and it, it was kind of a, you kind of have to watch it. Uh, the young knight also had um, a farmer's daughter with him that he wanted to marry, and so Who it one turns night out he murders. Yeah, yeah. Like the, he wakes up one night and the the farmer's daughter is married, and he accuses accuses the um, who's now the queen to be an evil witch, and so the whole the whole town turns on the witch. And she's driven away, and the young king, the young knight, ends up ruling the lands and has an awesome kingdom forever. Even though the young woman that married the original king did nothing wrong, it seemed kind of like life wasn't fair. If that makes sense. Yeah, and and uh, just from a stylistic perspective, when uh, the grieving tree, Groot, uh, goes into telling <laughs> these stories, um, he it switches to a watercolor animation. Watercolor, style. it looks yeah. awesome. Which is gorgeous. Which is really really it's cool. So visually striking. Yeah. And then um, Tale Two. This one kind of threw me for a loop. This was about the apothecary. So this is several ap- yeah several nights later. Uh, Liam several Neeson nights later comes back at exactly twelve oh seven p.m. again. Um, which is yeah, a reoccurring tw- theme throughout the movie. Yeah, twelve oh seven is kind of this kid's witching hour for the monster. It's like anytime twelve oh seven comes out, you know the monster's coming or something's coming along those yeah. mat along those lines. This was about what was it an apothecary that pretty much did old magic? Yeah, sort of like a old a, healing, a potion maker. Yeah, it's kind of like the guy that George went to see in Seinfeld when he turned purple. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a holistic type guy. And um, oh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton won Best Supporting Actor in a Television Series. Really? For Goliath. Yeah, but go ahead. Sorry. But uh, so Billy Bob Thornton won what? Best Actor? Best Supporting Actor in Goliath. Oh, for like a miniseries or TV? Uh, I think so. Yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. The second okay. tale with the apothecary didn't mean to derail. Yeah. It. And what was he said? It was like a priest or a minister in the village, pretty much told all of his church-going crowd that they shouldn't be seeing this apothecary anymore. They should stay away from his business. And so this minister runs this apothecary's business into the ground. He's driven away from town. And the minister's two daughters become, like, fatally ill. And so pretty much when the minister runs out of all his options, he um, turns to the apothecary and the apothecary tells him to like renounce his faith in God it, just so he'd save his daughters. And so he did. And then the apothecary decided not to help him, which is pretty much, what was it pretty much saying? Like a man with no faith is worthless. Like a man of yeah. faith with no 
Because uh, the crux of it is, is that the uh, pastor approaches him and says that he would basically renounce the church or do whatever the apothecary wanted. Just to save his daughters, yeah. Right, which was unforgivable in the eyes of the apothecary and also the Liam Neeson monster as well. Yeah, this was kind of like the uh, the turning point of the movie, um, I guess in some ways. Pretty much after the apothecary turns the minister away and says he won't help him, the grieving tree decides to destroy the minister's house. And he like starts destroying everything. And this is kind of like all in this kid's head. <laughs> and so the grieving tree tells uh, the kids jump in and start destroying things as well. And when you get back into reality, what was his name? Connor? Connor, yep. Played by Lewis McDougal. Connor kind of wakes up from this blackout, and he has completely destroyed his grandmother's living room. The grandmother being played by Sigourney Weaver from Alien. Yeah, like, completely leveled it. Including an antique uh, grandfather clock, which has been passed down for, she said, thousands of years in the family. Yeah, it's the only church that tells, like, correct time. So then this is an, an interesting theme throughout the movie, too, is that the grandma comes home, um, and I think that she ends up breaking something as well, sort of in a rage. But... It, it, it was almost comedic, because it was like the one last thing that, it was like the last thing that Connor hadn't touched. Right, yeah. But then ultimately, um, none of the adults hold Connor, respo- or they don't punish Connor for what he does, Right. Right. So his yeah. dad his dad enters the picture, I think, around this point, who, as we mentioned, is played by uh, Toby Kibble. And yep. you guys you guys would probably know him from the uh, best episode of Black Mirror, the one where you can rewind your memories. He's the main guy in that. So I think he's been a few other things, too. Um, but this is pro- that's probably the main thing that you know him from. Um, the dad lives in Los Angeles now. Like we mentioned before, he's kind of out of the picture. So it's kind of a Johnny come lately, Dad. Yeah, exactly. He has a new wife and a new family, and there's no room for Connor in that picture. Um, yeah, he makes it pretty obvious to Connor he's not coming to live with him. <laughs> but he doesn't hold him responsible. And then it comes to the third tale, which was about a, an invisible man, or it was a man who'd been invisible um, all of his life. And I kind of forget this one because they didn't go into any animation. Right, the Grieving yeah. Tree set this up. Um, Connor's been bullied this um, by one bully the, the whole movie. Like these three bullies, but there's like a main bully that they kind of walk around with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every day after school or during school, they pull Connor aside and just beat the crap out of him. And progressively throughout the movie, Connor's state's getting worse and worse. He's not sleeping at night. His mental state's not great. He doesn't even care about school anymore. And the bully um, just kind of gives up on it. He's not enjoying it anymore because I feel like Connor almost wants it, wouldn't you say? Connor, like, almost wants to be beat up. It's tricky, yeah. I mean, at one point the bully turns around and says, or, you know, almost kind of, like, makes fun of him for being, I don't know, like kind of like calls him gay or whatever. Like, you know, like you're trying to get attention. Like, like you like me hitting you, don't you? And like sort of like that ultimate insult. So I didn't know how sincere that was, but also it might be cathartic in some ways for him during this time. I don't know. It's tough to say. I think it's kind of obsessive. He doesn't have any other friends 
in the movie. Right. So this is the Apparently only... in the book he did, but in the movie yeah. he was just a straight loner. This is the only peer who's giving him attention. So I don't know if we're supposed to interpret that as he actually did like it, but um, it is sort of sad in that this is the only person his age who has any connection with him is a kid kicking the crap out of him. Right. And the it's a hard, it's kind a hard of movie says, to watch. Like, like the man wasn't invisible at all. It's just he had done nothing to be seen. And so no one wanted to see him. And so after this happens, the bully, Connor's drawing the whole movie. The bully pours OJ all over Connor's drawings at lunch. And as the bully is walking away saying he no longer sees him, um, he says, I hope your mom gets better. And that's when Connor goes into a fit of rage, tackles the bully and beats him senseless until Connor ends up in the principal's office. Mm hmm. And this is sort of when you're starting to see that the grieving tree is really in his imagination. Uh, in that first story that we talked about with the prince, um, he sort of appears and everything goes back to normal. And the second dream uh, sort of jump cuts between him smashing stuff in the, the dream with the grieving tree in real life. And then yeah. now, it's, now it's just Connor with no animation kicking the crap out of a, out of a school bully um, right, and... and sending him to the hospital. They yeah, it, like you know, you kind of brought up the principal said like you know she should expel him, but really what would that do? And she kind of hints that we know your mother is sick and we we can't imagine what you've been going through, so she just kind of sends him away. It's a line that I think is echoed twice in the movie: once by the dad and once by the principal. When Connor asks, "You're not going to punish me," and the response is, "What would possibly be the point in that?" And it, right, and it is kind of this one little bit of light in the movie that's just brutal to the watcher, like relentless in how sad it is. It's an extremely sad movie. Is that that at least the other adults in his life are understanding. That is the one thing that he has. Yeah. And and it's, and after he leaves the principal's office, they kind of do this thing where he's walking through the halls and his head's down and everyone is looking at him. Like he'd finally been seen because no one pays attention to him besides that bully. I guess the moral of that story was almost like, be careful what you wish for. Like, right. Yeah. And so, and after that, the whole movie, the grieving tree said, I'm going to tell you three tales and you tell me the fourth. And is that pretty much kind of where we start to see his mom get worse and worse? Like she's like withering away. Yeah. And, and they, uh, the writer, uh, Patrick Ness, P Ness, uh, Nice. He uh, he wrote the novel, and actually, there's a an interesting story about that. That one of his, um, I think, friends, and they shared the same editor agent. As uh, I'm gonna butcher her name, Saiben Dowd. Okay. She started with the concept and passed away of cancer herself, and then Patrick Ness. Oh wow! Uh, finished it, so now all of the royalties are split between her estate, which all goes to a charity um, that buys books for poor kids. So when you see this movie, you are actually supporting that charity in a roundabout way, which is kind of cool. Very uh, cool. Back to what I was going to say about the mom is that they're very specific and they never mention the word cancer. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's just, you kind of, you can kind of catch on. Well, well, it it does give it the sort of timeless quality in that, you know, it doesn't, years. yeah. Yeah, it could have been AIDS 20 years ago, or it could have right. been you know, something else 20 years from now. But but she's starting to deteriorate, and... Uh, 
is played by Felicity Jones, and I mean, she's like, it's really hard to watch because she is withering, and with all of her withering, Connor's just getting worse and worse. Felicity Jones from Star Wars Rogue One. Yep. Uh, and but one thing we didn't mention is that Connor has this reoccurring dream um, where the grieving tree lives, and it's kind of this part was kind of weird for me is that Connor lives on a cemetery, so it's like <laughs> right behind it. <laughs> It's about on the nose and bleak as you can get, but yeah, he lives on a cemetery, and in the dream, um, there's sort of a sinkhole in the cemetery next to the grieving tree, and his mom falls in. I, oh, I yeah. just saw that Atlanta won the Golden Globe for Best Television Series Musical. Really? Family. Yep. Good for them. Good for them. I haven't watched it, have you? No, I haven't seen any, but Mikey on our show uh, loves it. Very cool. Hopefully it's on Hulu soon. So then do you want to talk about, I guess, sort of the, the very last sort of act and then maybe get into some of the characters? Yeah, a bit? Uh, Drew started, uh, Pappy started off uh, um, talking about the reoccurring dream he has, and that's how the movie starts off. Mm-hmm. Very, I mean, it's, it's the first thing. It's um, you kind of see the world crumbling and like this church on the cemetery crumbles down and it's the floor starts to divide and Connor's holding on to his mom and she's about to go kind of this pit and like the wind is swirling Connor's screaming and he wakes up from this dream and he's always sweating and panicking and when Connor runs out to the cemetery where the grieving tree stands um, he wants to tell him his fourth tale and he wants to wake him up and pretty much um the grieving tree explains to him that his tail is really letting go of his mom. Wouldn't you say that? Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. sort of that. Yeah, yeah. He just wants it. Kind of can't admit to himself that he wants his just the sickness with his mom to be over. Mm-hmm. Because in in the dream, yeah, it's literally his grip is slipping on his mom, and he yeah. sort of lets her go. Um, it could also be sort of symbolically letting go of the grief uh or the guilt that he feels about um wanting the situation to be over yeah i mean it's a lot to put on an 11 year old kid (laughs) it's a lot to put on an audience yeah yeah and especially a kid that just has no one to turn to in his life you know what i mean and one thing that stood out to me was his dad just seemed so i wouldn't say it seemed kind of unsympathetic toward it didn't it it almost seemed like it was like a burden on his dad a little bit yeah, the fact that his mom was sick. He just wasn't involved, yeah. The whole time the kid's sort of being protected from the fact that his mom's getting really close to dying. But it's pretty obvious to the audience. Like at one point there's an attorney there and the ex-husband flies in and Connor starts to make arrangements with his grandma. And then I guess we should talk about the very last scene. Um, the mom does die, spoiler alert. Uh, but then there's also sort of a nod between the mom and uh, the grieving tree group monster. Yeah. Liam Neeson who shows up. Um, and then this part is all bonus, not included in the, in the books or the book. Uh, or sort of an epilogue in the movie that, that fades to black there. Uh, fade back in at the grandma's house. And it turns out there's a secret room that's been sort of teased throughout the movie. It turns out that's going to be Connor's new room. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a book that his mom was drawing and in the book from his mom's drawings are pictures of the watercolors that we saw earlier, almost implying that she also had an experience with the tree. Uh, so do you have any thoughts on that or what, what that could 
could mean? I heard a couple different rumors or, or theories. There's a million different ways you can go to it. It's voiced by Liam Neeson, and Liam Neeson was Sigourney's, uh, Sigourney Weaver's husband in the movie. Right, yeah, this isn't like and an Easter egg. They, they have a couple of shots that linger on family photos with Liam Neeson. Where Liam Neeson Weaver. holding Felicity Jones as a young child. Yeah, so, so it's obviously... They're hitting you over the head with that one, yeah. Yeah, and she also says in the beginning, I wish you would have known your grandpa. Like, he, he even could have kept your grandma at ease because Sigourney Weaver is a pretty difficult character in this movie. No doubt, yeah. And, and I don't know, there's a million different ways you can go through it. Um, I mean, one obviously is, is that the tree is the spirit of the grandpa. Right, which is very obvious. I don't really buy that one. Um, the reason being is that... So I think that the tree came to the girl when the dad died and the liam neeson photo is more of just like an on the like a a tip of the hat type thing um i think it's reading too much into it to say that the dad or the grandpa is like the spiritual tree and then it also doesn't make sense from the perspective that you're supposed to this tree is supposed to be ancient and you know being involved in middle middle evil battles so right that's kind of my my thoughts what did you think that's what I kind of thought too. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was kind of that, like, like uh, the girl, um, the mom also had an experience with the tree, and I, I think that's probably the most logical one. I guess another one, if anything, it could just, yeah, I, I think that's about the only one. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's intentionally open ended, but. They also give you those shots of Liam Neeson in the film. Because she even pointed out, like, because his mom had an experience much like this with her dad, which had been Liam Neeson. And the tree probably came to her and said the same thing that the tree said to said to the young boy, Connor. So that probably makes the most sense. Um, one question for, I have for you. Did, did you cry at all? I did not cry. I was pretty proud of myself. Very I, good. I honestly almost cried in the trailer for Purpose for of Dogs. <laughs> I, came, <laughs> I came way closer to crying in that than I did in this movie. But uh, Dogs don't laugh. <laughs> the dogs get in, like reincarnated in that movie. I really want to see it. <laughs> it looks so sad. But uh, Good for you, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> there's one point where the grandma, the, the point where I came the closest and like bite down on my lip. To not cry, and I'm pretty sure like just about everybody in the theater was crying at one point or another. Uh, but the Connor Connor goes to sleep underneath a tree, basically right before his mom's about to die. And this is right. when the the fourth tale is told, and Connor Connor goes through his dream with the tree, and like we mentioned, uh, he learns to accept the fact that uh, he wants the situation to be over. So the grandma comes and picks him up, and they're rushing to the hospital. They're, they're running red lights, uh, almost getting in accidents. They get stopped by a train, and then Connor apologizes to the grandma, and the grandma says it's okay. And it's just another example of the adults like being really forgiving, and that was the time I was like, oh, God, that was so sweet, where I almost cried, but I, I managed to not cry. Did, uh, did you tear up at all? Um, I welled up pretty hard in the beginning where... Connor's grandma, Sigourney Weaver, is trying to kind of tell him, hey, it's not getting any better. And Connor just freaks out saying, you're a liar. You're wrong. 
she's going to get her medicine and she's going to be better. You're wrong. And I was like, okay, this is getting really sad now. And that part of the train tracks where um, she kind of she's in the car and it's raining and they're stopped by a train and they're trying to get to the hospital because his mom could die at any minute. Um, the, it's a race to the hospital. I mean, they're flying through the street and his mom just kind of his grandma sits back and she's just like, you know, I know we're not a good fit and we don't have a great bond, but our bond is your mom. And that's when the tears started flowing for me. I cried at that part. Which, yeah, again, that was a re- that's a really good line to point out because th- when we're describing this movie, it might sound cheesy, but I feel like it 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 does tiptoe that line, but it doesn't go full cheese. Like you're not. It getting, doesn't go Hallmark or Lifetime. No, no. you're not getting like a, a a pivotal "I love you" moment. I don't even know if "I love you" is said in this movie. Not once. <laughs> not once. I really I really don't think it is. So it's not. And it's, and the and the grandma's saying, you know, we're not a good match. Like you said, it's the we're here because of your mom. And I right. think that that's. A really mature theme, and I guess another thing I would ask you then: Would you consider this a kids' movie? I would never take my child to see this. That's <laughs> there were a lot of families in my viewing. A lot. No kidding. Almost every oh, group was dude. a family, and then a couple of uh, young adults. Yeah, um, at the train tracks, like you could just hear like sniffles and people crying. Like, you, you could just hear the tears running, like from all around the theater. It's probably twenty of us, and you could hear everybody crying. And then when Connor's in the hospital for the last time and he tells his mom that he doesn't want her to die, once again, everyone in the theater started crying. <laughs> like, it's it's not funny. It's just those were the two moments where you know that like it was just a tear-jerking movie. And it is rated PG-13, but again, would you consider it a kid's movie, though? Because No, this is a very adult. See, I don't know. I think that... To me, the animation and the choice to tell this almost solely from Connor's perspective, but as an adult, you pick up on other things. Like, yeah, you understand that the grandma, who I have a little bit of problem in the first two acts, she's she's very one dimensional until she's not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean it, her character works overall, but like she's very much the stereotypical evil grandma. Um, but as an adult, you sort of pick up on that she's also grieving the loss of her daughter. You know right. what I mean? And that's something that Connor clearly doesn't see. Um, as a kid, you probably wouldn't see that either. You know what I mean? But uh, I don't know. I think that it could be useful for a 10 to 14-year-old who's going through a tough time. But you're, you're yeah. right. It's not, it's not a movie you want to sit down with the family on Friday night and have a good time with. Like No, because it's kind of that. It's heavy. Um, yeah. It's heavy. It's kind of that conversation you never want to have with your parent, which is saying goodbye. It's, I mean, the whole point is to get to that part of, like, just admit to yourself, like, this is what's going to happen. Because Connor just kind of refuses to believe it. And so, yeah, it's very heavy. Um, what would you think of Sigourney Weaver's accent? I liked it. Uh, it was all right. It was pretty good, I guess. I mean, it was it was neutral. She didn't go like foggy London town with it. You know what I mean? Hello, Gabna. Like, yeah, she. she yeah, go. It, it was, was it right. was it was very neutral. So I thought it worked. I thought that. Uh, I mean, I didn't really notice her accent, which I guess is a good thing. Um, she did give a great performance, 
uh, sort of like you mentioned in that moment after Connor becomes um, sentient again after the second dream and realizes that he's smashing up his grandma's house. Dude, she that she did such an amazing job with that scene. That scene just, is phenomenal, yeah, and the train the look scene. look on too. her face was just, like, because as a theater, like, pretty much the floor comes out, like, from under you when you, when you, because, like, there's this tension between Connor and grandma. I guess obvious tension. It's actually an incredibly powerful moment. Yeah, when yeah, when the floor comes out, you're just like, oh my, like how did like what? And with the look and horror on her face is just, yeah. She, I think Sigourney Weaver did a brilliant job with the movie. I would agree. What did you think about the kid, Lewis McDowell? Very good actor. He has a very bright future ahead of him. Twelve years old. Yeah, really impressive. Very bright future ahead of him. Very good job. I, I think he also lost a parent. Really? Yeah, I think he um, I think he either lost his father or his mother, actually, in real life. Oh. What about uh, Felicity Jones? you like her? Yeah, I thought she did a really good job, too, because um, I, I, I guess I really like that scene with, um, with her and Connor watching King Kong together on the projector. Which was another thing that was added by the director, J.A. Bayona, Spanish director. Um, not in the original book, but added for a little bit of, uh, I guess, movie references. A little bit of meta. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just, like, it kind of took, took me back to when I was younger, so I like that part. I did like yeah. it. I did like it, but it's also kind of like stringing up the old projectors like who who has a projector you know what i mean like it was a little silly but i I liked it it was sweet yeah that and did they even give a year on this movie like was it like set at any certain time it could have been any time that's what i think so too late 20th early 21st centuries yeah yeah what was the general reaction walking out of the theater with everyone sounds like you had more people in your theater than i did well like i said it was a lot of families and a lot of it was the parent and, and it was one of those movies, too, actually. It's kind of funny. Uh, when the credits started rolling, no one got up because everyone was trying to, like, compose themselves. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. It was just super heavy. So, like, no one got up right away. And then as people slowly started to trickle out, I heard mostly, like, parents asking their kids if they liked it. And they seemed to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was good. So, I think you can take a child to this, but they should be relatively mentally stable. One, <laughs> it's heavy, <laughs> and, and two should be it should be pretty precocious too, because it's yeah, you're dealing with the most adult themes. Um, very like it's a it's yeah, very adult themes for a child, and it's told solely from Connor's perspective. It looks like it's sitting on an 86 on the tomato meter right now. I think that's a that's a good rating. That's uh, a very fair rating. Yeah. yeah. So uh, would you give it a yes or? Yeah. Um... I think it hit home, like, as I said, it's kind of weird for me to say. Like, I haven't had to go through, like, a parent pass away like that. But just growing up with just my mom and, like, not a dad, I definitely could see how Connor was so close to his mom. So I guess that part really struck a chord with me. And very heavy, cried twice. I I love this movie, so I give it a definite yes. I like this movie. Um, I guess it depends... I'm giving it a yes because I think it's good. I'm not giving it a yes in the fact that you should go out and see it. Um, right. To me, this is, I have it in my notes, elementary school guidance counselor movie. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is going to be for, this is going to be most helpful for certain people at a certain specific point in their life. And I think this could be, you know, really, really yeah. helpful for that. Um, 
it is not the way I wish I would have spent uh, weekend uh, evening <laughs> this weekend, uh, just because there's really not much you can do after you see it. Uh, but it is good, and it call is your mom. yeah, <laughs> call mom. Yeah, it it is a good movie. Uh, it is avoids falling into cheesy traps, and uh, it is an original story too, which I enjoyed. So yes, it's yeah. good, but no. Maybe you don't want to go see this right away. Yeah, like if you've had a really good day, don't run out and see this movie. Um, just uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you're gonna choke up a little bit watching this movie. So uh, you went to a little bit of bonus coverage too. You saw another movie this weekend. Uh, I saw Hidden Figures. What I did not see this movie. So this is about the. Uh, this is 180 degrees from A Monster Calls. <laughs> What's it? What's it about? Um, it's different than what it's. It, this movie's barely been advertised in my mind. Have you seen it a lot? Because I don't have cable. Uh, so have you seen it a lot, like just on the TV or scrolling through? No, I don't have cable either. Um, from what I've seen on Twitter through our Twitter account at Spoilers PDCST, and what I've just seen on nice other, plug. and I know, I've just seen on other movie sites. Uh, the reaction is always super positive for it. So it's been on my radar in that sense. Um, yeah. But I haven't um, seen any commercials, or I don't even think I saw... Jim Parsons did a little promo bit on the Dan Patrick show, but that's about it even as far as like the media circuit that I saw. Um, let's see. I saw it today uh, for... Um, I saw it today around 1.30. It was a sold-out show. And it's pretty much about these three African-American women. And there's like a whole team of African-American work, women working at NASA. And it's not about landing a man on the moon, just what I thought it was about. It's about putting a man into orbit. So, you, you know, you have the kind of, like you have John Glenn in there and stuff. And um, I, I struggle with this woman's name so hard. Um, Taraji P. Henson. Sounds right. Yeah, she plays just this, you know, a beautiful mind, Matt Damon, Goodwill, a hunting mind at NASA. And they pretty much put her like the. Pretty much like her and Jim Parsons work side by side and all the trajectory units, like doing the math on how to get man into space. And Jim Parsons kind of talks down to her. And what is his name? God. And Kevin Costner plays. um. Al Harrison is pretty much head of landing, putting a man into orbit. And so there's just a lot of obstacles that these women have to go through to get where they're at at NASA, just based on a true story. Um, Octavia Spencer, Janelle Monet, Taraji P. Henson, Kevin Costner did his usual shtick of one liners at the end of a scene and go to another place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's very good for that. Just say a one liner and then that scene ends and go to another uh you know but he was good uh jim parsons played um i wouldn't say a racist mathematician but more of um a very protective one that didn't like people correcting him and so throughout the whole movie including the end her draji p henson and jim parsons never saw eye to eye which was nice to see there wasn't like that breaking moment of oh my goodness we're friends now you know there wasn't that typical moment like you see with most true story movies uh, but I give it a yes. Uh, it's pretty formulaic. It's pretty upfront. There's not a lot of drama or always lost like sequences, which is pretty nice. You know, there wasn't any creative drama that happened like to an outlandish point. 
but I thought it was good. It's thinking a 93 on the tomato meter right now. Is it that good, or is that a little bit high, you think? That's high. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they didn't reinvent the wheel, but they also didn't break it. Sure. So, I mean, they didn't have to, you know. All the performances, as I put it this way, it's there's a lot of good acting performance. It's a better acting performance movie than it is a story movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Based on everything yeah. I had heard about it, I thought it was distributed by Disney, but it looks like a 20th Century Fox, actually. Yep. Interesting. Yep. And a uh, good movie. Kirsten Dunst plays kind of a racist. Nice. Uh, yeah, she <laughs> she kind of plays the symbolistic, you know, she's the white hate for everybody in the movie. When I think uh, white supremacist, I think Jim Parsons and Kirsten Dunst. That sounds like yeah, a that's, skinheads that's right the two, there. Yeah, that's the two you want to get in there. But it was really good. Uh, Taraji P. Henson did a phenomenal job. I wish they would have spent more time on the math. Because uh, it was a lot of fun just to watch, you know, her go to a board and work. But they also explained the math where you could kind of get where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kind of tried to put it in the simplest form possible, which was neat. Um, yeah, really good. I, I enjoyed it. I'm happy I went and saw it. So that's a yes for you? Yeah, yes for me on that one. Uh, 180 degrees for Monster Calls. You can't even compare the two. Well, uh, anything else you want to talk about? I don't see it anymore. Um, so Hugh Laurie won something for TV on the Golden Globes, but oh, did you get the Night Manager? Uh, yeah, yeah. I heard that was awesome. I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, I guess uh, if you had to pick between one of the two to see in theaters, I'd probably, I'd probably go with Hidden Figures. So you're gonna leave happier. But if you're looking for that emotional toll, go see a Monster Calls. So uh, we'll go ahead and get to uh, how you can contact us uh, real quick. Uh, podcastspoilers at gmail.com, at spoilerspdcst on Twitter. Uh, the best thing you can do is leave us an iTunes review. And then uh, what do we got coming down the pipeline, Stevie? Oh, what do we have coming up? Uh, we're going to watch uh, Valley Uprising on Netflix. We're going to do a review on that with Vince. Uh, have you watched it yet? No, and then the next episode to come out is Midnight Special. Min- Midnight Special's coming out. That'll be out very shortly. And then, um... To, uh, is anything coming out in the theaters? That... Uh, the next couple weeks? I don't know. Um, you had the New Year's Res- Revolution of trying to New Year's see- Revolution, yeah. <laughs> of trying to go see uh, three movies a month, right? Trying to see, I, I, I knocked two out in one weekend. Anything else to look forward to in January? I'm pulling it up right now. Give me a second. Let's see, January. Moving. See what we got here. Um, dude, January is always a strange time. You need to get caught up on Moonlight and La La Land. Uh, I don't want to see Split by any means necessary. I don't want to see Underworld Blood Wars. Um, good lord, there are not a lot of great movies. I don't want to see Patriots Day. I'm going to try to stay far away from that as possible. Just too soon. Um, does Live by Night look any good with Ben Affleck? No. Oh, you see the founder. So? See the founder. Oh, when does the founder come out? In January. I saw it in Australia. It's really good. Um, yeah. Oh, A Dog's Purpose comes out in like, in like two weeks, Pap. <laughs> I'm all over it. I'll do a yeah, minor I... by myself if I have to. You think that looks good? No. <laughs> okay. 
because everyone in the theater I was at just went, oh, I was like, gosh darn it. The premise it's, of the movie, and this is one of the, the trailers that we saw, is a, a dog spirit travels a, from dog to dog through time. Meaning that do- a dog dies at least four or five times in the movie. <laughs> and eventually goes back to his original owner, which was an 11-year-old boy, and meets him, and he's like a 50-year-old man. No thanks. Hey, we got your review on it, though. I mean, look, that's be better than Nine Lives with, uh, what's his face? Kevin Spacey. All right, let's wrap this up. Alrighty, uh, I'm Stevie. I'm Pappy, thanks for listening. And once again, we also like to thank Joshua Hensley from the Rutabaga for doing our outro and intro. Check them out. And no spoilers! Foggy London town with it, you know what I mean? Hello, Gabna. Like-